Welcome to Your Strata Property, the podcast for property owners looking for reliable, accurate and bite-sized information from an experienced and authoritative source. To access previous episodes and useful strata tips, go to www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. Welcome. I'm Amanda Farmer and I have with me today Rena Van Alst. Hi, Rena. Hi, Amanda. How are you today? I'm doing very well today. Thank you, Rena Van Alst. How has your week in Strata been so far? Yeah, I actually had um, an interesting week. Um, I had a really large meeting, which I can probably talk about at another time with some various challenges. But um, mm. yeah, just been very busy. But um, this week I only had one meeting again, so I'm really happy. I just have to shout it out to the world when there's only one meeting a week. <laughs> <laughs> yes, I know. I think you mentioned that uh, a couple of episodes ago and I had a couple of strata yeah. managers who, who spoke to me uh, having listened to that episode and said, we're jealous. How does she do it? She needs to reveal her secrets. One meeting only a yeah. week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, I'm keeping it a secret. <laughs> <laughs> Good on you. I think the last time we spoke, you were having a bit of a break for a birthday and a wedding anniversary. Yeah, How was that? That was lovely. That was really nice. I did a couple of nice restaurants that week and lots of alcohol and food, nice food. <laughs> but it was all good. <laughs> nice. I think I saw in your Strata Central newsletter for this month a restaurant recommendation. I really like how you do that on the right-hand column of your newsletter. Give us some around-the-town tips. Yeah, exactly. That one was um, B, which is the new Matt Moran restaurant down at Barangaroo, which I took Robert for his birthday. So, nice. yeah, I just thought I'd share some tips and some information about things other than Strata on, on our newsletter. So, thanks for mentioning them, Amanda. For those that haven't read our newsletter, you can actually go to the website and subscribe, stratacentral.com.au. Yep, highly recommended. And I think someone else in our circle will be having a birthday at B Restaurant as well soon. <laughs> <laughs> Good recommendation. <laughs> All right, let's get into it, Rena. What has been your challenge for this week? Well, this was, again, another new occurrence for me, Amanda, where we have in one of the properties that, that I manage, the adjoining property has been demolished and they're constructing new apartments. And there's actually a crane that obviously needs to be included on the land of our adjoining owner. And actually, the crane needs to obviously go over the airspace of the strata scheme. Mm-hmm. And so at the end of last year, you know, the builder approached me and said, oh, are you the manager, et cetera? And then we said, yeah, we manage the scheme. And, well, you know, we, you need to sign this document um, really quickly. We need to start building. We need this signed. And I noticed um, – so obviously I, have, I hadn't had that experience before having a deed of licence that they were proposing. And just by chance, the neighbouring property on the other side also – he's actually a lawyer on, the, on his own committee and he rang me and he said to me, this is a document that I've used, mm-hmm. um, so make sure that you – reference this document or you can, you're most welcome to use it. And in that document, obviously, there was some compensation that was included, uh, I think, for a six-month period. And then, obviously, if the crane was going to be there for longer than that period, that the um, owner's corporation of that scheme was entitled to further compensation on a monthly basis. Yep. So, when we ogged our document that I had been given, obviously, it was very similar to the one that they had been given, but not amended is the same, but it actually had no compensation. <laughs> and it was given to me just before Christmas. So again, of course, you know, most lawyers are closing down, you know, a lot of owners are going away, community members are going away. So I end up, you know, stalling into January and February with, with no resolution. And then the crane just basically went up and 
the lawyer acting for that developer then got in touch with us and said, we need this resolved. The builder's out of it now. And rather than the agreement being between the builder and the owner's corporation, it then became between the developer and the owner's corporation. Mm-hmm. Anyway, it's still actually got, we're now in what May and it's still going and we haven't resolved the issue. The lawyers were ignoring our lawyers' requests for some clarity and some compensation, which mm. wasn't, which we deemed to be fair and reasonable based on what the neighbour had been receiving. Yep. But as at this date, there is still toing and froing. So I wasn't sure, perhaps, man, if you've come across cranes yeah. and airspace issues in your um, experience. Yeah, I have certainly seen these kinds of deeds uh, and advised on them. Just to be clear for our listeners, uh, what we're talking about, and Rena, you tell me if I'm wrong, but I, what I think we're talking about is the crane is situated in the neighbouring property and because of the work that is going to be done, the crane is actually going to swing over the airspace of the owner's corporation's property. That's correct. Yeah. yeah. Generally what the deed will cover is the right of the builder or developer or whoever the owns the neighbouring property to have the crane enter the airspace of the owners corporation and you're right there should be some compensation payable for the owners corporation allowing that privilege and the deeds that I have been involved in and when I say deed it's a legal term for a contract that I've been involved in advising on they uh, offer that compensation or we certainly make sure we seek it for the owners corporation who's going to be affected and as you say sometimes that's for a considerable time to have a crane hanging over your property Mm. while a development's being completed. Now I haven't Rena been in a situation where the work has gone ahead anyway and the crane has been overhanging the property in the absence of a deed being settled and Mm. that is quite concerning. I'm not sure. It sounds like you do have lawyers involved and I'm not sure what advice they've been giving but I would be very uncomfortable if I was that lawyer or that owner's corporation um, to be allowing that work to continue in the absence of a deed which covers the liability of the developer and also ensures that the owner's corporation is being properly compensated because it's often hard to put the the genie back in the bottle so to speak Mm. once the work's been done and they're they've headed off onto their next project Uh, and the way that I would imagine that this could be dealt with and the owners corporation may be considering this and it may all sound a bit hard and a bit expensive is to head off to the Supreme Court and to seek an order restraining the neighbouring developer from continuing the work or continuing to have their crane in the airspace of the owners corporation. Yeah, well, that is the advice that the lawyer has given. So initially, Amanda, when the, we were negotiating with the builder at the time, he provided a insurance. We asked for an insurance policy, obviously, and we asked that the owners' corporation be a beneficiary of that policy, which they provided. But now that the um, arrangement is going to be between the developer and the owners' corporation, obviously that's not applicable in this case. And we're still asking for an insurance policy so that we know that we're you know we're going to be covered. Mm. But we've actually also put our own insurer on notice as well because I think that it's important for strata managers to know that if there's something sort of hanging in the wings and there's no certainty and there could be a potential claim that under the duty of disclosure requirements for every insurance policy that a scheme will will have, that you need to advise the insurer. So we've advised the insurer and the first thing they've asked for, rightly so, is a copy of the insurance policy of the developer, which Mm. we still don't have. Mm. So the problem I think that our owners corporation has is there's been hardly any communication from the other always acting for the developer. So our lawyer mm. mentioned that the only way to actually remedy this is to go to the Supreme Court and get an injunction. But the Strata Committee is a bit well, some members are, are not 
happy with spending legal fees. But as I've said to them, it should really be put to the owners' corporation at a general meeting, even if you don't agree with going down that path, because I don't believe that the committee should be sort of holding this item in their carriage unless we have some resolution from the other side. So finally, we've got some traction where the, the lawyers are, are now communicating with our lawyer. Mm. We're still going through, you know, argy-bargy with terms and negotiating some money, et cetera. So I'll keep you posted and our listeners posted, Amanda, as to when we will have resolution and hopefully I'll have a win to report (laughs) as opposed to a challenge. Yes, hopefully we can move (laughs) this into the win column uh, soon. Uh, Very good point that you make there, Rena, in terms of the exposure of the committee members if they make a decision like this that they either let this lie without a deed and allow the crane to uh, remain in place or they take the step of commencing legal proceedings. And I agree with you completely, even though it may not be a strict requirement under the Act, I do recommend to committees who are making these important decisions to put it to the owners in general meeting and not take on that burden on their own shoulders to make decisions that could have some pretty serious consequences. So if the owners decide, no, let it lie, it's all too expensive to chase this as the lawyers may recommend, uh, fair enough, that's the democratic process, but um, not a matter that I even I as a committee member would want to have on my, on my shoulders. Yeah, definitely, Amanda. Okay, so looking forward to uh, hearing the results of that one. My challenge for this week, it is a question that's been raised by a member inside the YSP online community, and it is an excellent question. It's about secret ballots, and I'm hoping, Rena, you might be able to give me some guidance from your experience on the ground at meetings conducting secret ballots. But this particular member was a little bit confused, understandably, by the wording in the legislation, which on the one hand seems to allow a secret ballot for the election of committee members, but then on the other also requires a ballot for the election of committee members to be signed by a voter. And the parts of the legislation I'm referring to are Clause 10 in the Strata Schemes Management Regulation here in New South Wales, and that's the clause that sets out that you can have a ballot for the election of your strata committee. And it says in subclause three of clause 10 that for a vote to be valid, a ballot paper must be signed by the voter Mm. and completed by writing on it, not only the names of the candidates the voter is electing, but the capacity in which the voter is exercising their vote. So are they an owner? Are they a company nominee? Are they a proxy? Now Mm. that's clause 10 of the regulation, but then we also have Clause 29 in Schedule 1 to the Strata Schemes Management Act and that clause says that we can vote on a motion or for an election at a meeting by way of secret ballot. So the ballot for a Strata Committee, Amanda, is more about if there's more candidates for election than there are number? Is that what that's yes. about? Yes. Clause 10 applies if a ballot is required and you're exactly right, a ballot's going to yeah. be required if we've got more nominees than we do positions. So we've got to decide who gets the most votes and we do that by conducting a ballot. Now the question that this member has asked quite properly is how does that work together with the ability for owners corporations to have motions decided by secret ballot. On the one hand, we've got clause 10 in the regulation telling us we've got to sign ballot papers and we've got to disclose who we are. And we've got clause 29 in Schedule 1 to the Act saying that a motion 
can be resolved by a secret ballot or an election can be conducted by a secret ballot simply if the strata committee determines that that's the case or one quarter of the people entitled to vote on the motion agree that there should be a secret ballot. Now, I think the confusion is arising from the fact that as far as I can see, the legislation doesn't otherwise provide any guidance as to how a secret ballot should be conducted. So the query I had for you, Rena, is whether you have ever conducted a secret ballot, been asked to conduct a secret ballot, and how, in your experience, that works in practice. Um, no, it's a very interesting question, Amanda, because I've never been asked to conduct a secret ballot yet. And I think obviously these provisions are in the new act, so um, that may occur in the future. But yeah, I do see a bit of a conflict between the fact that you've got on one hand, you know, owners corporations records have to be available and that mm. would include all records. And especially in, in the ballot situation for a strata committee election, if there are more nominees than there are positions. But I don't really understand um, exactly how a secret ballot would work in this case at all when you are required to sign and disclose the capacity in which you're voting. So... Mm. Some general advice that I have given managers in the past who've asked about how to conduct a secret ballot is that when attendees turn up to register at the beginning of the meeting, you're usually going to give them, I know, Rena, this is your practice, you're going to give them what we call a voting paper, which they will need to complete should there be a special resolution on the agenda or should there be a demand for a poll. And voting papers, uh, Rena, tell me if I'm wrong, but my understanding is they have the lot owner's name, their lot number, their unit entitlement, and it generally lists sort of the motion numbers and it is available then for them to fill out should there be a special resolution or a poll demanded and it can be handed back in so that the vote can be counted on a unit entitlement basis. Yeah, but there's one more thing too, Amanda. Sometimes yep. when there's lots of people at the meeting, you've got husband and wife, you know, unless you have a voting paper, you don't know, like sometimes both people put up their hands. So mm. when there's a lot of people, I always ask, even just for one vote per lot, I always ask them to raise their paper so I know exactly how many votes because as you may know, people sometimes don't understand that only one owner can vote and, and most of the time out of just ignorance, people put like the wife and the husband or both owners will put up their hand. Mm. Okay. And that's, yeah. uh, you can't count that as two votes, it's only one vote, but unless you have a paper and you don't know who's who, then you need to Yep. Identify them in some way. Yep, I like that. Very good advice. So we're giving out voting papers on registration. And if we think that there might be a secret ballot or this is the kind of building that regularly wants secret ballots, then what I recommend is that the uh, the strata manager or the chair, whoever's conducting the registrations, also hands out a ballot paper. And this ballot paper, I suggest, uh, has nothing on it save for the unit entitlement for the lot because bear in mind that there could be a poll demanded on a motion being decided by secret ballot so we do have to have the unit entitlement recorded on the paper and you're then going to mark off the fact that you have given a person present and entitled to vote a ballot paper and if there is a secret ballot called, then that person can fill in their vote on that ballot paper and bear in mind that it's blank. It doesn't have their name or identifying details. It just has their vote when it comes time for them to fill it in. And they then hand that back in and you're going to mark them off as 
having handed it back in. So the reason that you want to track that they've both been given a ballot paper and handed it back in is so you can ensure that only those present and entitled to vote are voting on a secret ballot because remember there's no other way to identify their vote. Now I fully appreciate that this does not meet the requirements of Clause 10 in the regulation which says that we must sign our ballot papers when we are electing committee members and that is a conflict I think between the Act and the regulation and where we have such conflict, we look to the legislation that takes precedence and in this situation it would be the Act taking precedence over the regulation. Mm, Yeah, it's very confusing, I think, for managers and for owners to understand that whole concept, Amanda, where you have a secret ballot and then you need to elect a committee. But I think, obviously, as you said, the Act takes precedence over the regulations. The other thing I think that we need to remember with any motion and including a secret ballot is that you need to have a quorum for that motion to be considered. So if you don't get enough papers back based on your quorum, then that motion really can't be considered because you need to have a quorum for every single motion that is put to the meeting. Yep, very good point. A tricky situation and an excellent question from that member. If there are strata managers listening who conduct these secret ballots or this question has arisen before and been resolved or you can offer some assistance for us and our listeners, please don't hesitate to get in touch. Uh, You know where to find me, amanda at yourstrataproperty.com.au. All right, with that brain strain, let's move on to a win, <laughs> Rena. <laughs> Definitely a brain strain. Um, the um, win that I want to talk about is something that perhaps that a lot of owners don't understand or even know, and maybe some managers aren't even aware of. But um, last week I was asked to act on behalf of an owner in a scheme that I'm consulting on behalf of. And what the owners didn't realise is that even though a motion is decided by how many votes are cast in favour of the motion based on one vote per lot. Once it's the chairperson has declared that motion, someone can call for a poll. So in mm. that case, the motion had been declared and then I called for a poll because I, I knew from all the proxies that the owners that I was acting for had that we had enough you know, entitlements to basically carry the motion through. So I then called for a poll on that particular motion and then that motion then was obviously um, the initial result was declared in obviously not valid anymore because when the the motion was put by poll, it was actually um, decided in the affirmative and passed. So Mm. I just wanted to put it out there for owners that sometimes even though a motion has been carried, if someone asks for a poll, then that has to be recalculated based on unit entitlements of those who are present and entitled to vote and actually do cast a vote for that motion. So just something that owners should be aware of. Mm. And um, sometimes, unfortunately, you know, in buildings, there can be a lot of politics for those that are involved in such buildings. And it's based on numbers. And sometimes it's also based on UE, it's not just the numbers. So you may not have the numbers, but you might have enough unit entitlements based on the value of your lots, and which is determined the date of registration. Um, when you buy your lot, and it's on the strata plan, everyone's unit entitlement that you may be able to use that method as opposed to just the one vote per lot. Mm. Yeah, thanks for that important reminder, Rena. And it is set out in Clause 14 of Schedule 1 to the Strata Schemes Management Act in New South Wales that a poll may be demanded immediately before or after a vote is decided by majority in number. And the demand for a poll can always be withdrawn by the person who made it. That raises a separate question, doesn't it, as to <laughs> withdrawing that demand once the result of the poll is known. Who knows whether that's what those words mean. Don't we love strata law? <laughs> the uncertainties inherent in our legislation. I yeah, know there's no surprise. to be present, there. even though we just have a review of our act. 
<laughs> I know, I know. Okay, well, the win that I would like to share with everyone this week, uh, many of you already know about this, but a few weeks ago now, on the 17th of April, we conducted our inaugural Your Strata Property live event. And it was an overwhelming success. Rena was one of our star guests. And uh, Rena, thank you very much for giving of your time. And uh, our other guests, Gary Bugden, Dr. Kathy Sherry, Paul Keating of SCI Insurance, Natalie Fitzgerald of StratasSense. Yeah, it was a great evening, Amanda. We had a good turnout of, of managers and um, owners who are interested, obviously, in learning more about Strata and how their schemes are working. And um, definitely, it was, to me, really inspiring. And, and the way that Gary Bugden sort of facilitated the discussion was, was really interesting, especially about some of the new topics that, you know, the electronic voting, for example, one topic that was raised, I think, which um, people, you know, may think is, is wonderful in terms of convenience, but it may have some ramifications that people really didn't think about. And, Gary brought those to the forefront, which mm. I think was a really interesting topic to discuss. Mm, absolutely. We talked about short-term letting and I spoke about where the law is at in New South Wales on that front. Uh, we talked about, Rena, you and I uh, recorded a live podcast mm. and we spoke about levy recovery and also the sale and subdivision of uh, parts of the common property and how popular that's becoming. And yeah. we had a very lively panel talking about child safety devices, not just window locks, but netting, which is fast becoming Mm. a hot issue. We talked about the professionalism, the need to increase professionalism of strata managers and electronic voting, as you say, and many other things. So it was a great night and uh, I've decided there will certainly be more YSP live events, which is really exciting. And of course, the whole evening was recorded, both audio and visual. We do have a video and we are busy working in the background to put that material together to make it available for those who weren't able to attend the evening. So that includes strata managers who might be wanting to claim some CPD points. Uh, The video will be available so that you can have a watch of that and go ahead and claim your points. So listen in. In a couple of weeks' time, I'll be giving you details of how you can get your hot little hands on that video, but certainly some time well spent listening to those uh, hot topics. Yeah, I think what was really interesting too, Amanda, was the diversity of the panel. So you had an academic, you know, Kathy Sherry, you had myself and, and Natalie who are practicing managers. You had um, Paul Keating who's insurance mm. and giving interesting comments about office bearers liability and you know, acting in good faith and, and things like that. So I thought the breadth and the diversity of the panel was really important in terms of giving different aspects to the various topics that were raised by owners and managers in the forum. So it was a really good event. I really enjoyed it and we look forward to the next one. Yeah, absolutely. Um, um, I think it's great just to see our listeners in person and members inside our community and to hear from you and to see so many engaged people living in Strata is always encouraging. Uh, Rena and I, uh, our heads are often in the problems and the, the challenges as we talk about and it's lovely to see people come out wanting to invest in their education which is just so important in this area I think. Yeah, definitely, Amanda. All right. Well, another jam-packed episode. I think that is it for this week, Rena. Thanks, Amanda. See you next time. See you next time. Bye. Thank you for listening to Your Strata Property, the podcast which consistently delivers to property owners reliable and accurate information about their strata property. 
You can access all the information below this episode via the show notes at www.yourstrataproperty.com.au. You can also ask questions in the comments section, which Amanda will answer in her upcoming episodes. How can Amanda help you today? Thank you.